Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest community conversation here at Atlantic Health System. My name is Luke Margolis. I'm the Corporate Communications Director here at Atlantic Health. And today I am excited to be joined once again by somebody who has made a couple appearances here on our program. And that is, of course, Dr. Stephen Sherris. He is the Senior Vice President of the Physician Enterprise here at Atlantic Health System and the President of Atlantic Medical Group. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Um, so, Dr. Sherris, if you'll indulge me for one sec, I'll catch everybody up on, on how this will work, and then we'll dive into our conversation. For those who have not seen one of our community conversations before, Dr. Sherris and I are going to chat for about half an hour. We'll try to mix in a couple questions from you, our audience. Uh, some folks have sent some in already as part of the uh, pre-notification system we do for this type of event, so we've got a couple things already. But if you hear something you want a little more information about, feel free to just enter that in the comments thread below the video. And our team of folks who are following along uh, will make sure that we get to as many of those as we possibly can. Uh, if you, for whatever reason, uh, drop out of our programming today or are not able to stay the whole way, this entire video will be available on our Facebook page, on a LinkedIn account. Uh, you can find it on our website, AtlanticHealth.org. Uh, and of course, you can also see it uh, on News 12 Plus, which is our broadcast partner for this program. That would be Saturdays uh, at between uh, 8.30 and 9 o'clock. So again, News 12 Plus, check your cable listings for that. And then if you'd like to listen to these things, we have an audio version on our SoundCloud account. So with all of that having been done, why don't we dive into some of our uh, discussion for today, which we've, we've promoted this as a conversation around our COVID recovery center. But Dr. Sherris, before we get to that, which I know is something folks want to hear a lot about, Let's take a little bit of a, the temperature of where we are in terms of, of COVID-19. You and I last spoke a couple of months ago on, on this program and we talked a lot about the ways in which visiting a physician's office has changed mm -hmm. based on what we've learned about COVID. Um, but let's sort of see where we are in general. Um, how has our ability to connect with our patients and deliver care in general sort of evolved throughout this crisis? Well, all along Atlantic, uh, as you know, has been open for business. I mean, mm -hmm. we never close the physician practices, certainly our hospitals, our emergency departments. And right from the beginning, we enacted both environmental measures and process measures to prioritize safety of patients and visitors and our teammates in caring for these patients. That really hasn't changed. That's still our focus. Certainly, you know, in the spring, uh, through the surge that we uh, all live through, mm -hmm. and in the summer, uh, we learned a lot about COVID. We learned a lot about strategies to uh, mitigate the spread, to deal with patients who were infected with COVID, deal with patients who were hospitalized, deal with patients in the office setting. And we continue to learn every day about that, um, about those patients, and we continue to put those learnings into action to refine our care every day. And how have those learnings, a lot of the questions we get from folks are, you know, is, is COVID more or less lethal of a virus than it, than it was in the spring? Have there been changes to the way people are responding or reacting to the virus? Has the, our ability to deliver care more effectively changed? Can we talk a little bit about how those lessons that we've learned have translated into results for our patients? Well, a lot to unpack there, so I'll, I'll try to take it one yeah, step at a time in there. Um, I think from the standpoint of uh, the first part about has the virus changed, I say the virus really has not changed. There have been small genetic changes that have been detectable in the virus's DNA, the genetic material, mm -hmm. but those have not translated into changes in either the outer surface of the virus or in the infectivity of the virus as we have seen it. 
um, as the virus washes through susceptible populations, both in the Northeast and then as we saw through the rest of the country, mm -hmm. we're seeing the, really the most vulnerable immunologically and with pre-existing other conditions, associated conditions, the elderly, be disproportionately affected. Now we're seeing the rest of the country uh, at a younger age uh, being infected by virtue of their young age, less comorbid conditions, uh, more intact immune systems. We're seeing uh, the disease play out a little differently. We're seeing less severe illness, but nonetheless, the, the illness can be debilitating even to young people and can take them out of action for quite a while. The thing to remember really is that younger people can transmit it still to the vulnerable elderly or the vulnerable folks with uh, other associated conditions. So the level of vigilance uh, that we need to really portray is no different now in the fall than it was in the spring. In terms of those best practices that we're sharing with folks, um, when you and I last spoke, we talked a little bit about how the power to control the spread of this virus, there are, there are things that really lie in the hands of, literally in the hands, of, of, our, of the people in our communities. Has any of that changed, or, or is the, the blocking and tackling of, of defending oneself against this virus remained consistent? For the individual, uh, for the people who are watching here, the information real, has not changed one bit. It's still really about maintaining physical distancing of at least six feet, diligent and appropriate mask wearing, which is an appropriate mask covering your nose and your mouth, um, avoiding indoor gatherings of more than 10 or 20 people, kind of controlling your situation, your exposure situation, particularly indoors, and then washing your hands frequently, and especially after you uh, come in contact with high-touch surfaces like doorknobs, door handles, things like that. So that really has not changed. What we have been learning since day one, again, is about strategies to deal with the, the, uh, the illness in the hospitalized setting, uh, how we use mechanical ventilation or not use mechanical right. ventilation in a lot of cases. Uh, new therapeutics have uh, come, come on board that we apply in the appropriate settings. Some things that we were using in the spring have not borne out after participation in clinical trials to be effective. Those have fallen by the wayside. Every day is a learning experience, and our, our clinical expertise and maturity becomes more refined every day. We've always had great doctors here at Atlantic Health System, um, and incorporating this knowledge on the fly is really kind of like second nature to them. They're really good at learning. It's not really cookbook medicine, per se, but more applying the information that you have and that you've accumulated to the patient who's sitting in front of you. It's no different than before COVID but now we have this new challenge of dealing it with, uh, with COVID-19. Two of the questions we got before we, when we were soliciting questions from, from your audience had to do with along, along those lines, one from Joseph and one from Kathy. And um, one of them has to do with you know, the variations in care that are provided across the country. Somebody wondered sort of where we stack up as a state in terms of how we're doing in delivering care versus other states. And, and you know, if, if patients in New Jersey should feel confident and, and comfortable with the care they can receive here in New Jersey. And then the other question specifically has to do with something you just mentioned. She, she wants to know, uh, Kathy does, um, what the status of using hydroxychloroquine is. And so I guess if we could just address to those folks the, the nature of the care we provide in New Jersey versus anywhere else in the country, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? And then in terms of hydroxychloroquine, um, what was its role in, in treatment and, and does it still have a role to play? 
well, in a case-by-case -case basis, understanding that all the questions we're going to deal with today, right. uh, everybody's situation is different and individual, and of course your best course of guidance would be working with your physician on your particular case, but Dr. Sherris, in the main, if you would. Yeah, uh, first about uh, our own experience here. So um, I, th I, w I would say on day one, we knew very little to nothing about managing these patients, and by day 90, we knew quite a bit mm -hmm. about what was working and what didn't work. And I think those, that evolution of knowledge and experience uh, played out <clears throat> to the point where the mortality rate continued to drop from the beginning of the pandemic in March to the end of the surge here in June, to the point where our mortality, I would say, fell by a, about two-thirds from what we were seeing at the beginning. Um, some of that's patient factors. The, the most vulnerable got infected early and they're gonna ha have the, the greatest likelihood of succumbing to the illness. Um, and some of that is strategy, and some of that is therapeutics. So I think all of those bring brought to bear. Our experience here was very favorable. There's no data that really parses out Atlantic Health versus other health systems versus other regions. But looking at the data comparatively, if you, if you accumulate the literature, we, appear, we um, fared very favorably in terms of mortality. Now in other parts of the country, um, again, some of that is experiential. As they've gained more experience, their mortality rates have fallen. Mm -hmm. Some of it is, has to do with the number of patients and the vulnerability of those patients that are being infected. They're seeing less mortality than they did. Nonetheless, in any individual circumstance, you can predict how a patient's gonna, going to do. So mm -hmm. as far as that, how, it, how that informs behavior of the public, should treat this as a serious illness and you should do those things that we just spoke about to protect yourself and protect your family. You don't know, just because, people are not statistics, they're individual people in front of us with vulnerabilities, with wants and needs and susceptibilities. And even with that, you can't predict how an individual patient is going to do. So the best course of action is to really just stay the course. Avoid what we're all experiencing, which is pandemic fatigue and compliance fatigue. What's pan what is pandemic fatigue? Well, it seems you know, quite mundane, the things we're asking people to do. Um, at the same time, it's mundane, it's, it's serious. The masking, the distancing, the avoidance of indoor gatherings, the hand washing, staying home from work when you're not feeling well, regardless of whether you have tested positive for COVID or not. A lot of that is, is just discipline. It's, frankly, it's just being disciplined. Mm -hmm. And um, the other, I think, thing that we need to do as healthcare organizations, really, and as a country, is really be um, upfront and transparent with what the expectations are here. We never represented that cases can go to zero. Even in March, the whole strategy was protecting the most vulnerable, protecting the capacity of the healthcare systems to, to, to care for patients, it is about suppressing the illness. Without a vaccine and without development of broad immunity, we won't have eradication of the illness. So people should not get discouraged or think, think things are not working when we're detecting you know, 100, 200, 300 cases a day in New Jersey. That's actually pretty good compliance with public, the public health mandates. Um, and actually, they should not be discouraged with what we are seeing now, which is kind of an upswing in cases. Uh, that was always expected as we brought people indoors. It doesn't mean that this stuff, your mask, doesn't work. It's working, okay? It would be worse. If you think about what it was in March for all of you, was in February, we had unmitigated spread 
of this virus through New, through New York and New Jersey, uh, propagated by population density and by close travel on commuter lines. And then two weeks later, we had people overwhelming our healthcare systems. Now, fortunately, the healthcare systems were able to dig in and fight back with what they had and saved tens of thousands of lives, clearly. Um, but what we're seeing now is kind of what we expected, and our modeling would suggest that with continued diligence to masking and distancing and hand washing, we won't see a surge to the magnitude that we saw in the springtime in this area. We'll see kind of rolling waves of illness, kind of the bumpy road model. The hot, Brian has called them hot spots. In the past. Yeah, there'll be hot spots, but now we do have contact tracing and isolation, testing and quarantine in place so that we could respond with focused testing and isolation. Um, that has been the strategy. Once a vaccine is developed and then distributed, what we'll see is a smoothing out of those bumps in the road to the point where it'll be flat, mm -hmm. and then that will be normal for us. So now how the strategy plays out with vaccines and how often people need to be vac vaccinated and whether new vaccines that supplant the older vaccines get developed, that's all uh, to be written. But uh, for, for now, it's stay the course. I know it's boring. It's not this, it's in discipline. There's no date certain when it's going to be over. People want to know it's going to be over March 1st, June 1st. The answer is it's just going to go away as the vaccine is distributed and life will get back to normal. But for now, protect yourselves and protect your family. With that in mind, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, the things that we're doing, because you mentioned we have learned so much. Um, what we're learning now about folks on this journey through their recovery from COVID. For those folks who have had the virus um, and maybe continue to see these symptoms linger or, mm -hmm. or, or other symptoms evolve over time. Um, can we talk a little bit about what the motivation and impetus was behind establishing the COVID, the Atlantic COVID Recovery Center and what our philosophy for, for this long-term framework of care is? Yeah, one of the other things we learned is that uh, for a minority of patients who survive COVID or get over COVID, not hospitalized even, some of them can have persistent symptoms that uh, despite the fact that the, the vast majority of people recover fully and are fine, some people can have symptoms that play out in a highly individualized and personalized way for different patients. And they can affect, affect multiple systems, uh, pulmonary, lung system, the heart, the nervous system, uh, the joints, people can feel fatigued. And the overriding most common thing is the effect on people's psyche, the behavioral health aspects of this. Mm, okay. So people can have persistent symptoms. It can vary from, from one system to half a dozen that I just mentioned. And it is highly individualized and we're learning every day. So what we saw as the need was, well, when you're a patient with multiple systems of affected by something, you don't know where to turn. Who do I go to? Do I go to my primary doctor? Do I go to the lung doctor, the heart doctor, the GI doctor, et cetera? We saw the need to wrap services around the patient mm -hmm. rather than have the patient try to navigate through their, the system of care. So we established the Atlantic COVID Recovery Center uh, last month. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we're seeing about 20 new patients a week. And what's uh, unique about this is that the care is really different from patient to patient. What the, first and foremost, we listen to the patient. It's the key to any real medical, uh, effective medical intervention. We listen to how the, the disease has affected them, continues to affect them, impact them, 
And then we decide how to wrap those services around, whether it's behavioral health and counseling, whether it's pulmonary or cardiac or GI consultation, et cetera. We have a coordinator and a navigator that brings those consultations to the patient so that they can get comprehensive and personalized care. And when you say bring it to them, do you mean, you know, remotely or, or physically bring it to them? Yeah, what, what it's, form what, do it's whatever the situation requires. So now we have the capacity to, to deliver care virtually through, through uh, telehealth platforms. Something that really grew during our response to COVID. Correct. Uh, and uh, some of it needs to be in, in, in person. Some of it uh, requires testing. Um, but again, the idea is to take these patients who are feeling quite vulnerable and uncertain and take the worry away from them and put the burden of care coordination on us at Atlantic so that they can get what they need when they need it. Um, we have some questions uh, from folks coming in about this right now. Um, for somebody who's been COVID positive, um, you talked a little bit about some of the different ways in which these long-term issues can manifest themselves. Um, do we know all of the different ways yet or are we still learning different ways where, where this, how this may take shape and take form over time? Yeah, so I tried to um, describe how the, the um, impact of the chronic COVID for those patients who have it is different from patient to patient. The variation really is highly individualized. It can be intense in one system, it could be intermittent, it could be constant. It really is uh, uh, so, so varied uh, that it prevents me from giving you like a one blanket answer of how, how it manifests in a patient and also how it's gonna play out over time. So just because one person may be having an issue a cardiology issue doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean that all patients, uh, or, or vice versa, if you don't have a cardiology yeah. issue, that you may not still be in need of these services. The, uh, some of this is around coordinating the care in one center so that the knowledge can be concentrated in a few doctors so they can see more of it. Mm -hmm. Again, this is in COVID, uh, and uh, SARS-CoV-2 is a constant learning process for us. So if we concentrate that knowledge and those observations in a few doctors, they can say, and reassure the patient, say, yeah, I've seen this before, and we did this for the patient, and they got better, so you'll probably get better too. Giving patients hope and an outlet for their concerns is half of the battle. What types of responses have we seen from patients so far who have participated in this? I know it's, it's very early in the process. As you mentioned, the, the um, program only began just in the month of October, but what are these sort of the early returns that we're seeing from patients who have gone through this early process? Well, I would say that, you know, again, from a clinical standpoint, it's too early to give you a broad answer of how the patients are doing. Mm -hmm. But to a person, they've all expressed gratitude for having this uh, been made available to them. Mm -hmm. So where they felt hopeless, where their syndrome didn't fit into one conventional diagnosis, that there was some place for them to turn to. And again, as you know, some patients have gotten better and they've gotten relief from these chronic symptoms, we can impart uh, to those patients the sense that there is hope and things will get better over time. For those who are interested in learning more about this and have been following along, um, I we're gonna put the contact information for the, uh, the COVID Recovery Center on um, the post where this video resides. But if you're following along now and do wanna take this down and have a pen handy, the telephone number for the Atlantic COVID Recovery Center is 908-522-3361. So again, 908-522-3361. And of course, we have this information right smack dab on the front page of our website. 
AtlanticHealth.org. You can see uh, there's a little thing that says Road to Recovery, which is a link to this program, um, and you'll see some more information there as well. So please, if you have any questions at all, um, uh, dial, click, um, and yep. get, reach out to us. Yeah, on the webpage, you can just enter in the search box COVID Recovery, and that'll take you to the to the page uh, on our internet uh, in our internet space. So. Uh, very important work. A lot of people put in a lot of time to set this up really on short notice, seeing the, the need to uh, tend to these patients. want to acknowledge uh, the co-directors, Dr. David Susan, Dr. Frederick Cerrone, uh, and dozens of other people in, in a support way that, that really stood this up uh, to make it happen. Uh, again, they're there for you. Dr. Souza is a critical care intensivist uh, who saw a lot of the patients at Morristown Medical Center. And he specializes in those patients who, um, who survive the ICU stay. And there are a lot of them, uh, truth be told. I don't think that's a mistake. I think a lot yeah. of people assume that COVID, for many people, yeah. was... was and, and there are a lot of them. And, and an ICU situation, even before COVID, is uh, always uh, highly psychologically impactful to patients mm -hmm. uh, because of all the machinery, the isolation, the uh, day-night discordance that you get in ICU care and the intensity of intensive care. Mm -hmm. um, so for these patients, it's no different. So there is a special subset of patients that Dr. Souza sees and he specializes in that post-ICU syndrome related to COVID as well. I wonder, it, what do you differentiates our, uh, the, the Atlantic Health System approach to delivering this type of care from maybe what others do? What is it about this COVID Recovery Center that makes it sort of uniquely Atlantic, if you will? Well, I, um, I say with, uh, with some significant measure of pride that everything COVID was everything Atlantic. It's what everything that made Atlantic successful mm -hmm. in the years leading up uh, to this particular challenge uh, really enabled us to comprehensively deal with COVID as an acute illness and now COVID as a chronic illness. We have always been a proponent of patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. It's not been really disease-centered, it's been patient-centered care. And healthcare systems by, by history and sometimes by design are uh, overly complex for patients about how to navigate them. And our mission has always been to simplify access, create care where the patient needs it, where it's appropriate, and also do it at the highest level of expertise so we, we really had a mechanism to bring this together. We have experts in all different specialties, and they really stepped up uh, to the challenge of, of, um, of constructing this recovery program uh, in short order. They said, this is something we can do. This is something that patients need. Let's bring the same one Atlantic approach that we uh, brought to bear during the surge, that we brought to bear during peacetime, if you will, and do it for these chronic COVID patients as well. In addition to your, your leadership responsibilities here at Atlantic Health System, you are a practicing cardiologist as well. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the questions we got from Jennifer uh, ahead of, of this program today has, has to do with how COVID-19 and, and, and various heart issues, specifically tachycardia, um, are, are manifesting themselves. And are we learning anything new about how um, maybe other issues like skipped heartbeats, uh, things like tachycardia, how COVID is affecting those conditions and, or maybe exacerbating or vice versa, the interplay between COVID-19 and cardiologic issues. Yeah, so the heart is one of the systems, the cardi cardiovascular system is one of the systems that can be involved uh, chronically with COVID. Uh, COVID can directly affect the heart muscle. 
uh, and result in poor pumping function. One of the evaluations that we sometimes do uh, for those patients exhibiting symptoms is an echocardiogram. That's an ultrasound of the heart that evaluates both the pumping function and the valvular integrity of the heart. Tachycardia itself, tachycardia is a, just means a rapid heartbeat. That could be either a primary problem, meaning it's intrinsically due to the heart itself, or secondary to some other pathophysiologic or disease process that's going on. For instance, if your oxygen level is chronically low as a result of COVID, your heart picks up its rate, that's tachycardia as well. Mm -hmm. So tachycardia is a symptom that, one of the symptoms that would warrant evaluation in this clinic. Uh, sometimes it's a primary abnormality related to the hormonal inputs that drive the heart rate. We have hormones that slow the heart rate and hormones that raise the heart rate and that interplay gives you your resting heart rate. Tachycardia is just a heart rate that's greater than 100. If that's a primary problem, we have therapies for that as well. That may be due to COVID, may be in isolation. We don't ask the patient, obviously, to sort that out. Just come see us, sure. tell us how you're feeling, we'll listen, and then we'll tailor, tailor the evaluation and the therapy to your particular needs and situation. And I know that uh, doctors uh, Reinrock and uh, Martinez have been doing some interesting work around the way in which the heart is affected by COVID-19 too. And so um, there's been a lot of um, media yeah. uh, press releases and things that you may be able to find on our website. Right. Matt's been on with you here and uh, he's an, a, a national expert in sports cardiology and one of uh, his roles is to evaluate professional uh, and collegiate athletes prior to return to right. competitive sports. Now with COVID and, and uh, athletes who have tested positive for COVID, he actually does those evaluations. But many of those evaluations are common to the weekend warrior as well. So if you've been COVID positive uh, and had the illness, uh, really, if you've had symptoms or if you haven't had symptoms, it may warrant evaluation uh, at the COVID Recovery Center. And a, a good advisory there, too, obviously, with the weather turning and folks looking to bring more of their activities mm -hmm. in from the outside, uh, all the more important to really remember those public health guidelines that we talked about towards the beginning of the show. Uh, we have just about two minutes left, so I want to uh, provide an opportunity just to kind of take a look back um, mm -hmm. as we take a look forward. Um, I've asked you in, in other forms, you know, whether or not a, a, whatever folks are calling a second surge, whatever that mm -hmm. may be, is inevitable. Um, and, and I was hoping you shared some optimistic mm -hmm. thoughts with me then, and I'm wondering if you could do the same for our audience now. For those folks who may feel like we are doomed to a repeat of what we saw in the spring, you know, and, and predicting the future mm -hmm. in something like this is very difficult. Are you, are you optimistic based off of where we were and what we've learned and how that can inform where we go from here? Is the future set or can we still control some of that? Well, sir, one of the messages that you've heard me say repeatedly, Luke, is the future will be written by today's actions, okay? So continue, as boring as it is and as repetitive as it is, the governor says it, we say it here. It's masking, distancing, avoiding indoor gatherings, control your environment, wash your hands. The message is the same as it was on March 15th. We will get through this, okay? And it will happen more quickly and with less devastating effect the more diligent we are with those public health pronouncements and the more adherence that we get. People of New Jersey have been great. Mask adherence is somewhere between 70 and 90% in this state, which is outrageous. 
If you go into the Midwest, which are having trouble now, mm -hmm. it's less than 50%, and they're having a lot of trouble now. And their populations are much more spread out. That's correct. Too. They don't have the problem of density. So there was an interesting graphic I saw about whether somebody knows somebody who wears a mask and has seen somebody or knows of somebody who had COVID, and the likelihood that if you wear a mask goes up, the likelihood if you know somebody who's had COVID goes down. Wow. It's that simple. So. Um, I'm not trying to be Pollyannish, okay? And I don't know when the end is going to be, but the end will occur. Um, you need to know that this health system, like all health systems in New Jersey and the state itself, is ready to weather the storm should there be a storm. But we're, because of the actions of the citizens of this state, um, I'm still optimistic that we won't see a surge to the extent that we saw in the springtime. Individually, that really doesn't matter. Do what you need to do. Brighter days are ahead. And for those who may feel as if those brighter days are a little dimmer because they're having trouble recovering from the virus or struggling through this journey, uh, the COVID, the Atlantic COVID Recovery Center is there to help you. And I want to give the number one more time. And again, we will post it um, on our website and on the stream. But 908-522-3361, available now call uh, and, and we can get you connected with the folks who can help you figure out your path forward. Uh, Dr. Sharis, thank you once again for coming back on. I appreciate you sharing this thank information you. with us. Um, the future is determined by the actions of today. Is that, that, that was That it? is correct. So do your part and get out and vote. That's also important. That is happening as well. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are out of time. Again, uh, you can see this on News 12 Plus on our various social media channels on our SoundCloud account and on our website, AtlanticHealth.org. I'm Luke Margolis. That's Dr. Steve Sharis. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.